if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. On AM 1420, The Answer. Yes, indeed. Hour number two underway now, eight minutes past clock. Thanks for being with us. It is a Tuesday, the second morning of the second month of the year of our Lord 2021. And uh, I want to start with the uh, latest on the totalitarianism being practiced by the current president of the United States. Uh, executive orders number 41, 42, and 43, I believe, in less than two weeks. President Biden will sign at least three new executive orders that create a task force to reunify families, develop a strategy to address irregular migration, create a humane asylum system, and a comprehensive three-part plan for safe, lawful, and orderly migration. These actions follow a series of orders that already roll back many of the key Trump administration policies like halting border wall construction, ending the Muslim travel ban, and that moratorium on deportations. Now, today's orders tackle the fallout of President Trump's zero tolerance policy that resulted in families being separated at the border. I think I can summarize that 33-second report by saying Joe Biden has signed an executive order that consists of two words. I surrender. That's it. And if he wants to add a couple of more words, those words would be America's sovereignty. Joining us now to discuss that and the rest of the day's news is our friend Peter Kersenow. Peter is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He was a member on the seven, of the 1776 Commission. Uh, he is also a Cleveland attorney, the host of the Kersenow Report, and he's our regular guest on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, Pete, how are you? Bob, I'm doing pretty well. It's a sunny day in Cleveland, although I guess it's going to get pretty frigid later on. I am... Thinking of resurrecting the countdowns that I used to do, I'll probably do the Cleveland Indians. Well, I don't even know if they're the Cleveland Indians anymore. Maybe I'll do the Cleveland baseball team countdown. But I was thinking of tentatively resuming the Browns countdown. It would be 375 days until the Browns win the Super Bowl, provided they do two things. Number one is no kneeling. The minute they kneel, the countdown stops, and I'll start saying things that are negative. Number two is that I get to play one down at wide receiver during the course of the regular season. <laughs> you, were, you weren't a wide receiver at Cornell, were you? Yeah, I was. I played wide receiver for a year, uh, otherwise a running back, and I was pretty pathetic. I was the Roberto, <laughs> Roberto Duran of wide receivers. <laughs> I don't believe that for a second. I don't believe that for a second, but good stuff, Peter. All right, Pete, um, let's let's just hit that for a second, what I just led with. Um, three more orders today. 
undoing virtually all of the great work that President Trump had done to try to protect the people of this country against threats from outside this country. And I know a lot of people just want you to believe that everybody's streaming across the border. They're just migrant farm workers who are harmless as the day is long. They're just here to look for a better life. They're here to work. They're here to contribute. They're here to pay taxes. They're just like every other immigrant that's ever come to this country. Uh, that's what they want to believe. Uh, but the bottom line is what Donald Trump said when he came down the golden escalator is correct. There are, amidst those people, rapists, gang members, cartel members, drug traffickers, human traffickers, and more. He said about four years of strengthening border security and establishing policies to protect people who are here, including, by the way, other immigrants. Because as you know, and you've talked about it at length, the disproportionate number of crime victims of illegal aliens are fellow immigrants uh, in the same demographic because that's where they live around for the most part. So it, it, to me, Peter Kirstenau, what Joe Biden is saying through all of these orders, the previous ones he signed regarding immigration reform and these, are I surrender American sovereignty. That's all I hear. What, what do you hear? What I hear are several things. Number one is America last or Americans last, whereas Trump said America first and was constantly derided for it. The executive orders that we see are astonishing in their 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 attack on Americans. You cited some of the things that are harmful to Americans, but, um, you know, in a time when the president, the current president, zones out or zeroes out the XL pipeline, 11,000 jobs immediately lost. Then you've got the ancillary jobs, the support jobs, and all the other things that happen. Typically, you can say, and I know that there have been others who've had different calculations, but I'm using some uh, stats that I saw a couple years ago from the Department of Labor. I think Mike, Mike Rose says it's about four to one. In other words, if you lose one job on the pipeline, there are four other jobs, such as you know restaurant workers, hotel workers, gas station, yep. whatever it may be. Okay, so that's a lot. And that's just the beginning of that. But you compound all the things he's done in terms of executive orders that do manifest damage to American workers right off the bat is this obsession with uh, immigration, illegal immigration. And he's putting the interests of Americans last. For example, at a time when we have 10 million people out of work due to the pandemic, and on top of that, he's exacerbated it by issuing the executive orders with respect to the Keystone Pipeline, etc., he does something that is going to do considerable harm to the prospects of mainly blue-collar workers, and that is stats show, look, we've had, you know, Bob, you and I have talked about this. We've had at least two, maybe three hearings at the Civil Rights Commission regarding the impact of legal immigration on employment rates, and specifically black employment rates. Forty percent of the 18, think about this, the employment levels for blacks over 30 years declined by 18 points. 18 points, and approximately 40% of that decline was attributable to competition from illegal immigrants who, you know, uh, a lot of people will employ because they will take jobs at substandard wages. They don't complain to OSHA, the Department of Labor's Wage and Hour Division, or the EOC, all these kinds of things. But 40% of an 18-point decline because of illegal immigration. Then it's no coincidence. Think about this. During the evil Trump administration, for the first time, black employment levels, especially among teenagers, rises, and the unemployment rate drops to the lowest level in history. And at the same time, the median income from blacks 
rises to the highest level in history, okay? It's not solely because of the uh, border wall or enhanced enforcement and so on and so forth, although the influx of illegal immigrants slowed considerably, but nonetheless, it's a significant part, and as I said, it's no coincidence. Now we're opening up the floodgates at a time when, number one, we're suffering from not just the unemployment rates from uh, the pandemic, but disease and illness from pandemic. And now we're saying, hey, come on in. People who, many of whom are going to have COVID, many of whom have not been tested, they're simply being waved across the border. And on top of that, what are they going to get? Free medical care, free vaccinations. Can't we, look, all due respect to individuals who want to come to this country desperately, and I suspect 90% of the world would prefer to do so if they had the opportunity. We have considerable burdens to address here in the United States. Can't we for a moment pause, stop the virtue signaling for the rest of the world, and take care of our own? But Biden instead is not merely not taking care of all. He's doing manifest damage to Americans. So that's one of the elements in addition to the crime rates and the uh, burden on the public fisc, because most of these folks who don't have jobs, of course, are going to be burdening social services, the school systems, hospitals, etc. Pete, not only um, is the damage done to the people, uh, you know, and you talk about the number of jobs, and you talk about the, uh, you know, the impact on the blue collar workers of some of these decisions that are made to let all of these people in. You talk about the disease factor, but I want to stay on the economic part of this for a moment. The blue collar, you you started your response there too with uh, <clears throat> the pipeline decision. And 11,000 jobs that are vaporized at the moment. It's more than just that four to one. And it's more than just all of the things you said. It's, it's an impact on every American consumer. Somebody just sent me a copy of their, or a, a screenshot rather of their gas guru app. Uh, the average price around the area now 245. It's literally 20% higher than, percent higher than it was on inauguration day. 20 cents, not percent. 20 cents higher than it was inauguration day. We all know that this, if we can't flow the oil from Mexico down to, uh, you know, to the Gulf, to, or excuse me, from Canada down to the Gulf and distribute it around the country and around the, uh, the globe, uh, Saudi Arabia will. Uh, they are just waiting. They are champing at the bit to be able to become the world's number one exporter of oil and petroleum and gasoline again. If, if that doesn't lead to a rise, and not just at the gas pump, as you know, Pete, if it's 20 cents higher for us, it's 20 cents higher for the haulers, the long, the, the long road haulers, yep. uh, over the road haulers, which means anything they haul is going to cost more to haul. And that means those who are selling it and those who are buying it are going to have to raise their prices and on down the line. So the consumers are the ones who are going to pay the price for some of these extraordinary decisions that seem to be just politically, um, uh, you know, political retribution, I guess, in motive is what I'm trying to say, Pete. They're trying to damage or they're going to damage American people just so that they can say we undid everything Trump did. Yeah, I agree with that entirely, Bob. Uh, and I think many of your listeners probably came to the conclusion that many of these executive orders have absolutely nothing to do with policy or merit, but simply are they're not Trump or they're reversing what Trump did. And consider for a moment that in the same period of time, the dictator Trump signed five executive orders, and Biden has, I don't even know. I've, I've Today would be 43. Today it's would be incredible. 43. Yeah. It's incredible. When you have the New York Times admonishing you to slow down on this stuff, you know you've gone seriously off the rails. But to your point of uh, the effect this has on our uh, energy production, you know, a number of people have talked about it, but it's true, and it should be talked about even more. One of the first things we find out 
is the Biden administration is sending troops or has sent troops into Syria. Why? Ask any one of your listeners why should we should be in Syria. Um, why should we be in a lot of different places that the Biden administration wants us to be in? Yet at the same time, we are handing over everything in the world that we can hand over to the Chinese, our, our chief rival. But this is a matter of national security. Energy policy is one of the principal components of national security. When we became, for the first time maybe ever, or at least for the last two generations, energy, maybe three generations, put it that way, uh, energy independent, that released the pressure on us to be involved in Middle East politics, uh, be concerned about certain other geopolitical situations that, frankly, other than the production of energy and the securement of energy for Mm -hmm. the United States, we don't really have any interest in. But now our strategic options have become limited because we must sometimes kowtow to certain regimes because we need their energy or we need their support in the the protection of energy reserves. This is uh, its inane policy. Put aside for a moment what we think of a Biden administration or Joe Biden. What is best for the American people in the interest of the United States? It certainly isn't reducing our self-sufficiency when it comes to the production of energy. It certainly isn't knocking people out of their jobs. It certainly isn't having an open border when you have hostility across the world against the United States, but more immediately, competition at a time when we can't afford competition in the labor market between illegal immigrants and Americans. Pete, a lot of the things that you just brought up demand questions being asked of Jen Psaki, the White House Communications uh, Director. Uh, it demands questions being asked of Joe Biden. Yeah, I'll circle back to you later on that, Bob. Those questions will never be asked, and there's a reason why. And uh, we'll talk about that, and I want to get your reaction to that. It's a big story this morning as we continue with Curse on right after this on AM 1420 The Answer. Okay, 1023, we're right back with Peter Kersenow on AM 1420. The answer, Pete, you just raised a host of great questions about, you know, why do we have troops in Syria, what the, the Biden administration's plans are there, about the energy and so forth. All of these questions are very valid, and all of these questions should be asked either of Joe Biden or of his spokesperson, Jen Psaki. But apparently none of those questions ever will be asked because they will never be called upon. According to report from the Daily Beast, Peter Kersenow, uh, Biden staffers, White House staffers, are routinely going around to reporters gathering for press briefings and asking them what their questions are going to be. Once they get those questions, then they will decide who will be called upon and whether or not those questions are going to be okay uh, for, for Jen Psaki to have to answer. Pete, I thought... This was supposed to be about transparency in government. I thought Biden says that he was going to, same thing Obama said before him. They both said it. Trump did it. Uh, and that is being transparent and not just uh, coordinating and collaborating or colluding. They love that word um, with their friendly members of the media to ask softball questions of the administration. Your thoughts? This is extremely uh, troubling is probably too mild a description of it. 
when you combine it with the censorship across multiple platforms that we're getting, the kind of suppression of information that we had in the lead up to the election, for example, you know, uh, a significant percentage of Biden voters had absolutely no idea what was going on with the Hunter Biden laptop and that entire scandal, which was one of the greatest political scandals preceding election of all time, knew nothing whatsoever about it. And polls showed that would have changed the outcome of the election because a significant percentage of those individuals would have changed their vote had they even known about it. The suppression continues into the administration now. They've gotten their man elected and their woman elected, and now they continue because it's quite obvious that this administration does not have, its policies do not have popular support. Who would have said, hey, one of the first things we want is to become non-energy independent and destroy jobs in the interim. Well, the first things we want to do in the middle of a pandemic is invite in illegal immigrants to further burden our system. Biden never ran on any policies that were easily discernible because the media wasn't reporting about it. He was in his basement, and it was not a policy-based election. It was all about Trump. So now he's implementing policies that the voters never had an opportunity to vote on. And then on top of that, the media continues to play Praetorian guard for him. It's troubling enough when you have totalitarian regimes that have complete control of the media and propagandize for it. It is, I think, as a lot of your listeners have said, because I've spoken to a lot of them, and you know, you speak to just friends, a lot of people understand that we've turned a real corner in this country, a very troubling corner, where you've got this censorship that's occurring, the canceling that's occurring, that, you know, we used to read, you know, 1984, uh, back in high school or grade school, and, you know, that, that, uh, meme has played over and over and over again, but we are perilously close to that, where we're being told complete falsehoods, or to the extent we're not told falsehoods, we're not told anything at all. The media should be ashamed of themselves that they are "quote unquote" colluding with any administration. Well, let's the let's Democrat- let's talk about let's talk about the media colluding with the administration, and also about the social media tech giants. Um, Yesterday, Jen Psaki was asked about the censorship of President Trump by Twitter and other big tech organizations. Her response, Peter Kersenau, was, we've spoken to, and Biden has spoken, to the need for social media platforms to continue to take steps to reduce hate speech, end quote. That is an official authorization by the presidential administration to big tech to continue the censorship of speech with uh, uh, that they that they disagree with this is um this is astounding this is an extension of the government big tech is now essentially this is almost like congress doing exactly what the first amendment says they cannot do which is to establish a law that prohibits the freedom of speech this is the executive branch establishing the rules um, that limit the speech of others, including the past president who would be critical of the current president's policies. Who gets to define hate speech, by the way? Jack Where Dorsey does. Jack Dorsey yeah, and Mark Zuckerberg it, do. Yeah, exactly right. There's no universal uh, definition of hate speech. But beyond that, hate speech is protected by the Constitution. Now, I know a number of your listeners just dropped their coffee. Some of them may have fallen on the floor. Because for the last 25 years, we've been just kind of gradually been inculcated into thinking that hate speech is somehow not protected by the First Amendment. I'm not advocating for hate speech. I think it's awful. But we have a First Amendment to protect speech that people don't like. 
if you like something, we don't need anything to protect it. That's what the First Amendment is for. But more importantly, who gets to define hate speech? I try not to engage in what I think some would consider to be hate speech. Out of sheer politeness, I don't want to do that. But I know that I've got the protections to engage in it if I choose to do so. And my definition of hate speech may not be the same as Kamala Harris's definition of hate speech. Who is the great you know, emperor who gets to decide what that is. This is a serious incursion on our First Amendment liberties. When we can't debate things, and sometimes in a rough fashion, then we have lost something. And when you shut off debate, what's the only other outlet you have? It's physical confrontation. Which we don't is, want to do that kind of stuff. No, we this don't. Is why is we have one, Go ahead. This is one of the reasons why we have a First Amendment. Go ahead, Bob. No, no, I was, I was just going to say, which is what happened uh, when people lose their right to express and dissent and disagree uh, verbally, then they turn to physicality. Uh, we have seen this far too often, and we saw it on January 6th. And now they're trying to impeach a president for inciting it, uh, that which was, of course, planned long before the president ever spoke. Uh, perhaps we'll talk more about that as we continue as well. Peter Kirsten, back with us for one more segment after the news on 1420 The Answer. Two sides to every story. There's the mainstream media side, and then there's the truth. You are experiencing the truth. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. Um, Peter Kersenow continues with us for one more segment. Pete, I want to spend a couple of minutes of this segment on impeachment and the ridiculous trial that's coming up for President Trump next week. Uh, I want to start with... Um, Rob Portman, who is, of course, exiting stage left, and I mean that quite literally. He is exiting stage left uh, in two years, not running for re-election. I would prefer that he get out of Dodge right now, because he said over the weekend on State of the Union on CNN that Donald Trump uh, is responsible for the violence at the riot, at least partly on January 6th, and that his actions and words were inexcusable. He then went on to remind everybody that he's a juror and he will keep an open mind. I don't understand how somebody can be a part of the jury and say they have an open mind when they have already declared the man to be guilty, saying he is responsible, or at least partly so, for the quote-unquote incitement of insurrection. Uh, I want you to speak to that, and then, Pete, I want to speak to this. I sent you an article, not sure if you read it, uh, talking about the fact that Chief Justice John Roberts is not going to preside over this impeachment trial. And the reason is, is because John Roberts does not see this as being constitutional. The article that I sent you uh, by Aline uh, Gardy at uh, the, the Daily Caller says that Joe Biden has sent a warning shot to John Roberts, saying that if Robert doesn't come around uh, and limit the conservative influence in the court uh, on issues that are important to them, Democrats will then pack the court, limiting his influence altogether. So it's a, it's a mouthful there, but Pete, speak to the trial and the fairness of it when the jurors, many of them have already made up their minds, including Republicans. And number two, speak to John Roberts not wanting to be a part of this trial, and Joe Biden's kind of warning to him that you better do what we tell you to do or we're going to, uh, we're going to pack the court. Uh, as we discussed last week, this is, as many Republicans, I think it was 40 or so, 45. at least, 45, said that this is unconstitutional. Uh, and it doesn't take 
a rocket scientist to figure this out, and it doesn't take an esteemed legal scholar to figure this out. You don't have to go to Alan Dershowitz. You can go to your own pocket copy of the Constitution, which I keep with me at all times, and we discussed it last week. This is about, it talks about removing a president. That's what it talks about, a president. Donald Trump is an ex-president. And that's one of the reasons why John Roberts has decided that because this is not a properly constituted impeachment over which the chief justice of the Supreme Court is charged with presiding, he's not going to be present. That should be enough. But what this is is not a, an impeachment. It is a political inquisition, an attempt to, and I think you've said it well, uh, so damage and besmirch Donald Trump that it's not necessarily all about Trump, although he has scared them more than anybody in the history of the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. They clearly want to kill the beast to make sure he doesn't you know, come back from the grave at all. And they, they won't be successful in doing it. It's like that Star Wars thing with uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, I'll show, come back stronger or something, whatever it is. But nonetheless... I didn't um, see Star Wars. Th- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> th- this is about um, damaging the brand of Trump, not Trump as a person, but Trump and his ideas and the movement he's created and the personnel, and not in the minds of the majority of the people, although they wouldn't mind damaging it in that way. I would suggest that what their target audience is are half a dozen or maybe a dozen susceptible Republicans who they want to make sure they stay on the swamp reservation, the swampy reservation. They want to be the good Republicans. They want to be thought of, you know, those that are, are in polite company, you, you can invite into, you know, polite company that the New York Times speaks favorably of, and therefore they're sufficiently malleable to go along with the, even the nuttier things that Biden and the Democrats have in store. And they tie that, tie that into sure. the Portman, tie that into the Portman part, part of the question. Well, I think that there's, there's, you know, we've seen those individuals who, first of all, um, didn't vote in favor of uh, Graham's resolution. Um, I'm sorry, Graham, not Rand, uh, Rand Paul's resolution. Um, there's a lot of Republicans, and unfortunately, you know, he blows hot and cold on this, but Mitch McConnell may be one of them, who have decided that, well, you know, Donald Trump was a bridge too far. Yes, he was a, in a, a Republican, but we prefer the Republican brand of, say, a George W. Bush, where you get pummeled about and you don't really accomplish much in advancing your agenda. You may retard slightly for the moment the advancement of the progressive agenda, but you don't stem the tide completely, and by no means will you do what Trump did, and that is reverse the tide. And that's something also that Reagan did. As difficult as it is, and even though Trump was faced with enormous obstacles as did Reagan, they were able very slightly to push back on the advancing liberal tide. They want to make sure that those individuals, when you don't have a filibuster-proof majority in the Senate, they want to make sure they can peel off the Susan Collinses and the Murkowskis. They'll be successful in doing that in the past, but they want to make sure that the brand of Trump is so, so, um, uh, you know, just toxic that no one wants to affiliate themselves with that. And that helps push through the liberal agenda. Okay, but I, I still want to bring you back to Portman by name, uh, and, and I don't know if there's a reason why we're not naming him, or you're not naming him, but I'm going to ask you directly. Uh, do you think that this man should still be in the United States Senate, and do you think he announced his decision not to run for re-election two years from now because he knows he's about to be destroyed when he votes to convict uh, President Trump? 
I don't know that he's going to vote to convict President Trump, number one, um, but I don't think that... Um, he has publicly declared him responsible for the riot. Yeah, but that doesn't mean he's going to... Let's, let's see what happens, and then I'll comment on it when it happens. And I will tell you that, yeah, I, you know, I, I've known Senator Trump, and I've dealt with uh, Senator, Senator. Trump, Senator Portman, I've dealt with him, and I try not to... I try, try to give people the benefit of the doubt when I can, but by the same token... <laughs> I completely disagree with, with this kind of position. I mean, this is uh, Donald Trump to me is the best thing that's happened to the Republican Party since Reagan, and maybe even better than Reagan. That's just me. Okay, it boggles my mind when we see all the things that Republicans have said they stood for, but weren't getting. We're never getting. They get together in different conclaves and talk about it very nicely, you know, and then they'd harumph, 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 but they didn't get it, and they were satisfied with being perennial losers. Trump said, nope, you guys asked for it. I'm going to get it for you. And he did, and all of a sudden it revealed a lot of things that maybe some of these individuals didn't really want those things. They were satisfied with the status quo. Bob, you and I and almost all of your listeners, I suspect, weren't satisfied with the status quo. We, We were sick of losing constantly, and even when we weren't losing, we were getting the George W. Bush kind of approach, all due respect to George W. Bush. Um, But the approach was he wouldn't defend himself. He thought it was defending himself. It wasn't. It was defending his supporters. When he wasn't pushing back, what he was doing was capitulating to the left's description of his supporters. He was leaving us out there hanging out to dry when we had gone through all kinds of, I was about to use some type of language, all kinds of stuff. Advocating for these very things. Some people lost jobs as a result. So we liked Trump for that reason. And I can't see why any Republican senator, any Republican congressman, sure, you could say, I don't like the approach of of Donald Trump. I think he spends too much time on Twitter. I think he's a little too rough around the edges. But by the same token, I think that kind of personality is the only kind of personality who could have taken the kind of stuff that was thrown at him that could have forged the kind of solutions that he did. Especially taking them from his own party. And this is the frustrating part to me. I interviewed Anthony Gonzalez, as you know, a couple of weeks ago. Anthony Gonzalez's political career is likely over. He is he is going to be primary. There are people in the 16th and all around Northeast Ohio who are done with him uh, and because of his vote to impeach out of the House. I believe that Rob Portman saw that and said, when I vote to convict, they're going to do the same thing to me. I'm going to beat them to the punch. I am announcing that I'm not running anymore. I think I don't think Rob Portman can be trusted. I think Rob Portman is a snake. I think he's every bit the rhino that people say that he is, and I think he's worse than that. I think he's a weasel, and he is uh, not committed to anything. And I think what he just did in selling out the president on CNN and in other interviews, saying that he's responsible when there is not one word. I would love to have Portman on in, in an interview the way I had Gonzalez to ask him the very same question. What words did the president say made him guilty of inciting an insurrection? You tell me what uh, words, and also tell me how, by the way, the president can incite something that the Department of Justice has just arrested members of the Oath Keepers organization for planning weeks in advance. I want those answers, and I'm not going to get them because he he would never come on with me, especially after what happened with Gonzalez. But I want him out of D.C. now. I want him out of my Senate. I don't want him representing me or anybody else in the state of Ohio because Rob Portman, to me, is an absolute snake. Uh, let's get off of that, Pete, and I want to get one more answer for you in the three or four minutes we have left. One more answer from you, rather. 
1776 Commission, dedicated to teaching and preserving the history of the United States, making sure students learn the actual history as it is factually, not fictionally, as in places like the 1619 Project. Part of that is critical race theory. I just did an interview with a gentleman who wrote a story about the second-in-command in the Department of Education, Biden appointee Cindy Martin is the current San Diego Unified School District Superintendent. She just had um, a presentation to teach the teachers in San Diego in her district uh, by the name of Bettina Love to do a presentation on abolitionist teaching. This training, supported by the new second-in-command in the Biden Education Department, This teaching including a warning to all white teachers that they should not be teaching students of color because they spirit murder them. She calls spirit murder a death built upon racism and intended to reduce, humiliate, and destroy people of color. This was supported and, again, presented by the new number two in the Biden administration. So I think Biden administration, Department of Education. I think we know now, Pete, why one of the very first things Joe Biden did on on uh, Inauguration Day was to disband your 1776 commission. I'll give you a chance to respond to that. Yeah, Bob, I mean, your description is what's going on across the country. And, in fact, I'm somewhat familiar with what's going on in San Diego. I, I don't know Cindy Martin. I don't know uh, specifically. I've read about what's happened in San Diego uh, during her um, tenure there. But this is permeating the Justice Department and the Education Department at the Department of Justice. The critical race theory, which is the most lunatic and toxic kind of instruction imaginable, it, not, not just lunatic and toxic, I mean, it's just false on so many levels, as you've just described the, your description right there. I'm sure your listeners are saying, what? What is going on here? I want to give you a couple statistics that's kind of, uh, it's related. Um, I just recorded a Kirstenau report along these lines. This Attention on racism, racial equity, um, all these things is going to end badly. We're telling people that they are inherently racist. We're telling people that some of the greatest people in the history of the world are not worthy of consideration because, well, they don't meet our standards of, uh, you know, uh, wokeism. Prior, just prior to Barack Obama getting elected, Gallup had, has yearly done polls on racism and racial satisfaction in this country. Mm-hmm. And just prior to uh, Obama getting elected, more than 70% of Americans, including 61% of black Americans, said race relations in the country were very good or good. 71, 70%. Okay? Then after we elect the first black president, which a lot of people thought was going to be an era of racial he- healing, we had an obsession of race, not anything close to what we have right now, but everything was about race. We had cops being called racist. We had the Ferguson incident, the you know, Tyrone, Tyrone, I'm sorry, the, the uh, uh, I'm, st- I'm losing track, Martin, Which, what's his name? Trayvon. Uh, Trayvon Martin, yes. Um, so we had all these, these things, and, and the Obama administration was about race all the time. At the conclusion of the Obama administration, the expression of both blacks and whites with respect to race satisfaction in this country, whether or not relations were good, had fallen by more than 
full points. They didn't stay the same. They didn't rise during the advent of the first black president. They fell 20 points. And what we're seeing, and I would argue a lot of that had to do with just this constant racial friction that was being thrown in our faces constantly when they didn't exist. Sure, everything isn't fine, but they haven't been fine during the course of the entire, entire history, but race relations were demonstrably improving. But when you start calling people racist simply for existing because of who their parents were, because they, they happen to share certain genes, that's not, you know, uh, conducive to good race relations. And I would you know, you right know, I, you know, I agree with you and I understand the point you're making. Obama literally helped destroy race relations and the great advances that have been made in this country. However, I'm going to hit you with this because it needs to be answered. This is what your critics and mine will say. They'll say that's because white Americans were happy with race relations until yeah. we got a black president. White yeah, Americans well, hurt race relations because they couldn't stand Obama. That's what they'll say. Yeah, well, how, how the heck did Obama get elected then by all these white Americans? It was white Americans that elected him. But, but beyond that, and if you look at the percentages, white Americans cast votes for Obama in greater percentages than they did for, well, obviously for McCain and many other presidents. But consider this, that during the first uh, term of the Bush administration, a higher percentage of blacks thought race relations were good than whites did. What we are seeing right now is a, among other things, there's not just one reason for this happening, but we're seeing an attempt to divide the country in order to consolidate leftist political power. It's that simple. It's, it is truly that simple. Now, there are all a host of, of other ancillary reasons to it, but we are hurting the country in an effort to ensconce certain people into positions of power. And then once those people are in positions of power, like, say, a Biden, look at what they're doing to the country as a whole. I mean, the, 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 what's happening to the fabric of the country, and it's unforgivable, it's being torn apart because of, and, and yes, it, you always have to say, as a predicate, there is racism in the country. The 330 million people are going to be racist, blah, blah, blah. Yes, that's all true. We get hit on the head with that every single minute of the day, it seems. But at the end of the day, this is the greatest country in the history of the world. With all of its flaws, it was the greatest country in the history of the world, even before we had an Obama and or a Biden-Harris. People in the United States are fundamentally good people. But this harangue that's coming from critical race theory, this indoctrination that's occurring K through 12 and in, and in college, this sheer lunacy and revision of history is going to do profound damage to the United States and race relations in this country. It's getting worse. There's no prospect of it getting better. And it's all about consolidating leftist power. Well, Pete, I would say this. Uh, critical race theory is actually doing more. Uh, it is codifying racism almost. It is promoting it and almost codifying it, but it's anti-white racism that they are essentially saying is okay and, in fact, encouraged, just like we're talking about with these teachers. If you are white, you are assumed to be inherently in your DNA a racist and white supremacist and white privileged, and therefore you must be uh, made to uh, to feel shame and, of course, to, uh, to, to uh, apologize and make up for all of that so racism is alive and well in the world of critical race theory but it is anti-white racism with that peter christina i will say good day and i will wish you a happy black history month thanks very much bob and promote curse now for one play curse now for one play curse now for one play hey by the way as long as you're here real quick i've got curse now for one night 
On February 17th, I want to remind people, uh, CFFS, Citizens for Free Speech, Ohio Chapter Webinar, online webinar featuring Peter Kirsten. I was our guest presenter, February 17th, 7.30 p.m. Pete, I know you will not disappoint. Wanted to get that memo out there. Thank you, my friend. Take care, Bob. All right, that's Peter Kirsten now on AM 1420, The Answer, back after this. Well, there you have that. Uh, really, really a lot of stuff on a lot of different topics from Peter Kersenow. I want to focus on the very last thing I said. He's going to be our guest presenter at Citizens for Free Speech Ohio Chapter and our webinar on February 17th, 7.30 p.m. If you have not yet joined Citizens for Free Speech, I cannot urge you strongly enough to do so. We need more numbers, and we are going to make a huge difference in our local communities as we fight for our right to express ourselves. Join at citizensforfreespeech.org. It's free to join, and your information will not be shared or sold. I'm a part of that organization. You have my word. That will be the case. All right. Citizensforfreespeech.org is how you join. Then go to the Citizens for Free Speech slash Ohio page to register for the webinar on February 17th. You've got to go to citizensforfreespeech.org slash Ohio. And I uh, very much look forward to you uh, joining us and being a part of that event. Let me go to the phones now. A couple of quick calls before the top of the hour. And that's uh, Sandy, I see there in Solon, who's up first. Hi, Sandy. Go right ahead. Hi, just a quick question. I am hearing over and over, Biden's doing this, Biden's doing that, and I believe we all know without reservation that Biden himself is doing none of this. He's being directed. I'd really like to know who is behind him, who do you feel is directing traffic in this maelstrom of craziness? Well, I think there's probably a lot of uh, players behind the scenes, a lot of puppeteers pulling his strings. I do agree. Thank you for the call, Sandy. I do agree with you that Biden is not doing all of this unilaterally. I think he knows that when Nancy Pelosi, prior to the actual election back in November, um, created commission to study the 25th amendment and how to remove a president uh, from, from power who is incapacitated or unable to discharge his duties, it was not aimed at Trump. It was too late for Trump. It was aimed at this administration. They're going to use his age and his dementia and his psychological or whatever you want to call them impairments that many people noticed. And we said one of the reasons why we weren't going to vote for him. Uh, they're going to use those against him so they can install somebody who is truly, you know, one of their own, which is be Kamala Harris, one of the far left socialist Marxists. Uh, in his place. And so he is doing everything he can to live up to their expectations so they don't invoke and remove him. Uh, he's figuring basically if I do everything Kamala would do and everything AOC would do, everything Bernie would do, they'll leave me alone and I won't suffer the embarrassment of being removed from office. So I think that's pretty much what's going on. Derek in Richfield. Derek, go ahead. I've got a minute. You're up. Hi, good morning. Thank you for yes, your time. Certainly. So uh, when you bring up the, this whole transgender issue, so my question for you is, now, how can transgenderism, you know, involve, involving hormone replacement therapy, um, just bizarre, um, grotesque, you know, surgeries, how can that be pushed onto children when, you know, after all, I always thought, you know, children are minors until they're, you know, age of 18. I mean, there are age limits, age restrictions on, you know, how many other obvious things. 
Well, you're right, and that's the danger of this. Thanks so much for the phone call. We don't trust children to make decisions about drinking or about smoking or about sex or about anything else until they're actually adults, but we encourage them at the age of four to determine that they're not the sex that their body tells them that they are. Uh, that's just part of the radical narrative that, and agenda they are advancing. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. We're done for today. Have a great one. Bye-bye.